We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. Paul, continuing on here with 2 Corinthians in his letter to them, is going to remind them about their promise that they made. Uh, and an, an encouraging reminder. He, uh, you know, it's hard as you read through this stuff if he was concerned maybe they'd forgotten or whether it was just time for him to swing back through and, um, you know, just want to put something, a bug in their ear, basically, to remind them of their promise. And it was about when they first came to know the Lord, when the church first got planted, they were excited, obviously. Christ is in your heart. And when that takes place, there's a generosity that naturally springs up inside of a person. You can't help yourself. It's just what happens. And they had said something along the lines, we want to make sure that the poor are taken care of. We're doing pretty good around here. We want to make sure that the poor are taken care of. Let us know what we can do kind of thing. And Paul took that to heart. Now he knows he's coming back through there again. He thought he'd remind them of that. It's been a year since they promised that, since they mentioned that. And so over the next two chapters... um, and we do just come across this stuff as we go through. This isn't a planned thing. It's not giving week at Calvary. It just happens to be the next two chapters. It's important we understand that giving is an act of worship. Everything we do is an act of worship. And Paul, of course, will take us there, get us to that place. He starts off in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. He calls it a grace there. Paul starts off by reminding them of their promise in a way through giving an example of another group, the Macedonians. And he's going to explain to us why he uses the Macedonians later on in this chapter. But he uses the Macedonians, these folks, man, did they ever. The idea is Paul was going around, and it wasn't necessarily to the church of Macedonia. Like, like I wouldn't say, now, now that you've heard this message, let's all give to Calvary. The idea was Paul would go around and pick up these deposits, basically, from all these other churches and take it then with an ambassador from that church to the poor to make sure the poor were taken care of. So keep that in mind as we go through these next two chapters. It wasn't about enriching the Macedonian church. It's not about the Corinthians giving more to the Corinthian church. It's about getting it out to those who need it more than they do, keeping it equal. So he mentions the Macedonians, that even though they were going through affliction, even though they were going through trial, even though they probably could have justified not, they went ahead and sent a tithe and an offering with Paul, with an emissary, to the poor, even beyond what they can, even beyond their ability. And now later on, he's going to correct that thought, but that was on them, going beyond their ability. We're never called to do that, but they did it anyway. It's easy to understand why they did that, because in verse 5, it gives us the reason. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. When you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you understand what he's done on the cross for your sins, 
And you ask him, Lord, come into my heart. We say that symbolically because we want him to indwell us. We want him to come into our heart and to change our lives. And when he does that, the Spirit of Christ does do that, does that exact thing, comes into our lives. And now it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives through me. And as you watch Christ's life, as you read about it in John, Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or any of those places, you realize how generous he was. With his time, he never, never ran away from ministry, always towards it. And when it was time for him to get some sleep, he'd go up on top of the mountain and pray to get refreshed, those kind of things. He would give of his time, he would give of his healing power, of his teaching abilities, he didn't have a lot of money, but he, when he did need it, they went fishing and found it in the, in the mouth of a fish, found some coins there and paid the taxes and so on. But he always made sure that he was giving. And when that Spirit of Christ comes into our hearts, that's the natural Spirit-filled life, is to be generous. To just see people in need and say, how can I meet that need? What do I have that I don't need that they can take? How can I give that to them? How can I get that to them? Without any credit for myself, but for them. It's just natural. Now, when we have a hard time with that, which we do, there are days, aren't there? You know, keep a tight clutch on your wallet, you know. Those are the times when we have to understand where that comes from. That's not from him. That's from the flesh. And Paul warns us that there's a battle that always rages between the flesh and the spirit. God wants us to do one thing. Our flesh wants to do another thing. And we constantly war. We argue. And so Paul's reminding them that when you gave yourself to the Lord, what was your first instinct? What was the first thing you wanted to do? Give. Has that changed? Kind of. Why is the idea? Why? What's happened? We can talk ourselves out of stuff. I don't know if you've ever done that before. I talk myself out of stuff all the time. I go to a conference. You could be in a teaching here. You could be a teaching on Wednesday. You could be having your quiet time, and God will speak to your heart, and you'll circle it, underline it, and think, that was the Lord. It jumped off the page at me. My, that was awesome. Wasn't that wonderful? And somewhere between that room and through that door, whatever door that is, in the next room, you begin to wonder, did God really say? That should always throw up a red flag in our minds. Now, I was so sure over there, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Because in the garden, in Genesis 3, that's exactly what Satan said. Did God really say? That's what he does. He challenges us. God speaks to our heart, and he challenges us and says, that wasn't his voice. You didn't hear right. It couldn't possibly want you to do that. That's extreme. That's crazy. And we begin to weigh the cost-benefit. Ah. And we can talk ourselves out of this stuff. Paul simply reminding them, when you first got saved, do you remember that generous spirit and what you said to us, that promise you made? You need to get back to that. Maybe you've talked yourself out of it, maybe you haven't, but you need to get back to that place where you were. He goes on, I speak not by commandment, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. I'm mentioning the Macedonians because I'm trying to see where you're at. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He's our example. He showed us that. He gave up everything. King of the universe became a man and dwelt among us and had nothing. You see, now I think my life to a cardboard box is a big jump, right? Can you imagine his life to earth? What kind of jump that would be? I mean, that's like a species jump, not just like economic downfall. It's like you're an ant where you were a person, basically. That's the gap that he jumped just to reach us, just to meet us, just to spend time with us because he loved us. And so Paul reminds him of that. Christ has been a really good example for us. 
He became poor. He wasn't, but he became poor that we might be rich. And in this, I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by inequality, that now at this time in your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. And he's referring to the manna in the wilderness. As the Israelites were wandering around the wilderness, remember, they could pick up just enough for the day. Anything more than that would spoil. Anything less than that would seem to just divide right in their hands and make it. It was always enough, just enough. Never more, never less. And God's trying to do that with the body of Christ, trying to even things out. Have you ever seen preachers that wear robes, right? We've talked about this a long time ago, robes and stuff. Do you know why that started? It's not supposed to be like that. It never was. What happened was when the church began, the rich folks would come in and the poor people would come in and there was a definite distinction in their wardrobe. And so they got the idea Everybody puts on robes when they come in the door. Everybody wears a robe. That way nobody knows and nobody's looking. They're all wearing the same thing. So they put these robes on when they come in. Somewhere along the line, we got things messed up and you guys stopped wearing robes and we started wearing robes and now all of a sudden there he is with the stripes and the ornaments and all this stuff. It's like, wait a minute. Where'd that come from? How'd that happen? There's supposed to be an equalizing. It's supposed to take place. This is a hospital, a bunch of sick, sold people here. I'm one of them. We're all, we only have one physician, and that's the Lord. And he's ministering to all of us through his word this morning. He's given us a little bit of medicine. And so the idea of equalization is always supposed to be there. But it was always supposed to be with a willing heart and a joyful heart. And, of course, that's where communism fails, doesn't it? It's <laughs> ah, my Republican front row. Communism fails because it's forced. Because it's not a choice anymore. It's an obligation. It's a must. And God never, ever wanted it to be like that. Communal living, wonderful. Book of Acts. Exactly what they did. They laid everything at the apostles' feet. It was divided up amongst the people. The problem was people got lazy and some didn't work. And there's a bunch of people working 80-hour weeks and some people working 10-hour weeks. And all of a sudden, there's a little bit of bitterness going on. You know, how come they're laying around again? You know, your knee acting up again, you know? So it didn't work out so well, but that's the idea. It's supposed to be from a willing heart. And that is the problem with some of our systems today is it takes away the willing heart and the joyful heart, makes an obligation, and then causes bitterness towards the poor. We're actually supposed to have a heart for them. And so as we go through the scriptures, hopefully God will change that thought process. No matter what the world does, as a Christian, my heart needs to be the same same heart of Christ. So, I'm challenging you. Christ did it. The Macedonians did it. Now you need to do it. Now they've already promised. They've said that several times. You promised, you promised, but you got to complete that thing. See, we're about getting done with planting around here. You know, I think a couple more weeks and all the, I don't know, are we on beans or corn now? I don't, I don't I'm not a farmer. I don't get it, but um, the seed is in the field. It's done. 
It should be. It's getting there anyway. They're getting closer. Some of you are feeling guilty. I should be out there today. It's a beautiful day. It's okay. God will cover it. But it doesn't do any good to have all that seed stored up and bring all of your friends over and say, look at that. I've got a ton of seed. I mean, that's a lot of seed. And then about August, you're still pointing at it. Look at all that seed. Isn't that great? And your friends are going, okay, are you insane? It's not going to do anything in there. I know, but I've got seed. Yeah, but it's got to be planted if it's going to bear fruit. It has to be planted or it's not going to do any good. And that's what Paul's getting at. It's one thing to promise. It's one thing to have it. That's great. But if you don't actually do it, if you don't complete it, it's just a promise. Sometimes in Bible studies, we can do that. God's word is oftentimes considered seed, planted in our hearts, right? The Bible uses that as an example. And actually sitting in the Bible study, we can actually feel like we've done what God's word has said because we've heard what God's word said. We can actually come to the conclusion, hey, I was at Bible study, I heard that, I nodded my head, I agreed. All right, I'm awesome. Check mark in the positive column, you know. When actually we have to go out and do it for it to be of any effect at all. If we're not doing it, you just heard it. You're like that person with the seed. Look at that. You've got to bear fruit. And so Paul says, let's complete this. Let's get this done. Let's make the transaction. Let's go for it so that that promise can actually do some good. He goes on in that verse 13 and says, I don't mean that you should be eased or that they should be eased and you burdened. I don't want you getting your credit cards out. I don't want you going beyond what you have. Although the Macedonians did, and he brings that up because that's what they want to do in their heart. That's not God's call. Don't go into debt, necessarily. If you've got an abundance, you know, plant it. Plant it so it can bear fruit. And he describes that fruit later on in chapter 9. He goes on in verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother who, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who is also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Paul's simply saying, the folks that I'm sending with Titus with this letter, these guys, they're emissaries from all the churches. Because if we show up with bags and bags of money, they might think it came from us, Paul said. And we don't want anybody to have any misunderstandings. When we bring it, we want each church to be able to give it to the poor themselves so they can see that it's the body of Christ working here, not just one you know, mothership, basically. It's for that purpose. We, I, I, we don't have any money, Paul would probably say, but these guys do and they want to bless you. And that way it, it goes the way it's supposed to. And, and there's something about that. There's something about this uh, accountability that Paul puts in place. I don't know if he doesn't trust himself with all these bags of money. I understand. I don't think I would either. Cash. Who'd know? Who'd know? You know? But he brings all these guys with him. So they understand that I'm not shaking you down. You know, Paul's coming to grab us by the ankles, you know, kind of shaking us up. I don't want all your lunch money, basically. These guys are examples of what other churches have done, and it's your turn. It's your, it's your opportunity. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches 
the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and uh, of your boasting, of our boasting on your behalf. Now he kind of gives us a taste of what's coming in chapter 9. I've been boasting about you guys. Prove it. Prove it. The people, they're just couriers. If you wonder about them, don't. They're with me. He gives them a stamp of approval. Now prove it to them, what I've already been boasting about. This is the second time Paul's done this with the Corinthians. Last week, he did the same thing, didn't he? Began to boast about how awesome they were, and then he was hoping they were awesome. You know, I hope you're awesome. I said you were, kind of thing. And he's doing the same thing here. I already told him. Chapter 9, now concerning them ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know your willingness, about which I boast of you to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. There, that's his point. The Macedonians did what they did, going above and beyond, because they heard about what you were going to do. Now, they're coming with these guys. They may be coming with these guys, he's going to explain. And we want to make sure that we don't surprise you guys. And you guys look and say, what money? The one Paul said that you were going to do. Paul, you said they were going to do this. We gave you all that money because you said... He wants to make sure it all lines up like he said. So he's giving them a heads up. Your zeal has stirred up the majority. And isn't that how it works? We're called to that. We're called to uh, stir one another up to good works. Provoke one another to good works, actually, is the wording it's used. Provoking, you know. How much? You know? What do they do? Now, we're not supposed to let our right hand know what our left hand is, but if it gets out, you know, it's interesting how that works sometimes. And it doesn't, it's not just with money. It has nothing to do with money, necessarily. It's, it's Joe went on a, a mission trip? Joe? I haven't been on a mission trip. I've been a Christian longer than he has, you know. What's Joe doing on a mission trip? Did he take time off from work, too? Two weeks. It's a lot of money. Where'd he go? You know, Canada or something? Canada needs Jesus. It's okay. Oh, he went to the Dominican Republic or he went to Haiti. Oh, wow. It's kind of rough down there. You know, that provokes that person. They begin, well, I can do that. Joe can do it. I can do that. I've been a Christian longer than him. He's not equipped. He's not qualified. You may say, I'm kidding. That's, hopefully that's not the conversation we have. But it does get us to think in a different way, doesn't it? We can go beyond what we think we can do. They did it. I can do it. The Macedonians, they don't have anything. We've got a lot, you know. It stirs them up. That zeal stirs people up. Your zeal stirs people up. Paul says the Macedonians heard about your zeal, and they're stirred up. Now, I hope that you're stirred up, Corinthians, by their zeal. So complete it, you know, is the idea. Do what you're asked to do or do what you've offered to do. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that I, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand that you had previously promised, and it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. And that is a very important scripture right there. As a matter of generosity, not as a grudging obligation. That's the first thing we've got to get to is our heart. The heart of the Corinthians was they just got saved. Their generosity exploded because Christ's spirit was in them. And we never want our giving to be a grudging obligation. In fact, we're told to keep our money until we can give it with a joyful heart. God has never needed our money, ever. It is an act of worship. It is a way to worship. He doesn't need our singing. 
He doesn't need us having quiet time. It's always been for us to have quiet times. It's always been for us to pray. It lines our will with his. It doesn't change his mind. It changes ours. So too with giving. And he's going to explain how many birds he can get with one stone with this Corinthian offering. It's not just the Corinthians that are blessed. It's not just the people that are getting the money that are blessed. It goes on and on and on. And so God is always working that way. He never needs our money. He always wants us to give with a generous heart, not from a grudging obligation. And so he's giving them a head start, or a heads up, excuse me, so that they're not surprised and they don't react inappropriately. Because we can. Verse 6, but I say this, or but this I say, excuse me, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all, all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever." I want you to give with a cheerful heart. God wants you to give with a cheerful heart. He loves that. When you find something in the Bible, when God writes something down like this, because God is the author, Paul's the pen, when he puts something in there and says, this is what God loves, man, circle it. He loves this? Remember the centurion's faith? He marveled at that? Those are things to circle. If we can make God's jaw drop, we need to be all about that. Don't you think? I mean, I do. Like, if I can make God go... Whoa, I've never seen kind of faith like this, not even in Israel. This is amazing. Or God loves a cheerful giver. That's amazing. That's amazing. I love this. Remember the widow's might? All the guys blowing the trumpets and pouring their money, you know, into the coffers there as they walked into the temple, and everybody's going, ooh, that must have been a million, or that must have been 5,000, or that must have been whatever. And then some little lady swings up and kind of, dink, throws in her might. And Jesus says, whoa, everybody, look, watch, look at that. Did you see what just took place? They're like, what, did I miss somebody? What trumpet blast? What? I didn't hear any coins. No, she was being all sneaky about it. Did you see that woman? She gave everything. And it is, it is in God's word. So every time we read God's word, we read about this widow. We don't know the names of these other guys. We don't know anything about them. But we know her, we know her amount, and we know that she had children. That's huge. It's huge to God. These are huge things. He doesn't need anything. He wants our hearts. He describes this to us so bountifully. Sow it. The dollars are seeds. The Word of God is seeds. These things are seeds. They always produce 20, 40, 100 fold. You want to plant one acre? You know, some of you have one acre gardens. That's a big, pretty big garden for in town, isn't it? But then you go outside of town, they're like, We've got 12 rows of sweet corn, 12 rows of sweet corn. You know, it'll be gone while you're sleeping, you know. Some of you plant 500 acres. Some of you plant 1,000 acres. Some of you plant 5,000 acres. I don't know how big it gets around here. Go to Kansas, the wheat fields, amazing. Wheat harvest. It's like a destination for farm boys, it seemed like. I'm going to wheat harvest. They're all jittery about it, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> going to wheat harvest. Because it's amazing as far as the eye can see. Talk about that. That's, that's what he's talking about. You can plant an acre. You can plant 10. You can plant 500. You can plant 10,000. It's up to you, you know. It's up to you. Because it, it brings back. 
The increase is there. And so he encourages them, go for it. Um, Every good work, uh, an abundance of for every good work. Now, verse 10, and this is where we finish up. Now, may he who supplies seed to the sower, who gave you the seed anyway? He just wants to bring that up, you know. Where's your blessings come from? Where does your cash come from? My hard work. No, it doesn't. You work hard, that's good. That's a biblical principle, you should. But your paycheck always comes from God. Always, always. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food supplies and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God while through the proof of this ministry they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their power, or their prayer, excuse me, for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I want to go backwards through that and then we'll close. That's where everything has to start. That's where worship starts is with that verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. When we think about what God has done for us, we don't go to hell anymore. Hello, we don't go to hell anymore because of what Christ did on the cross. I don't know what else we have to add to that, but we don't go to hell anymore. Praise the Lord. Now, what else can I give him but everything I have my whole life, you know, So we work backwards through this. So then God says, one of the ways you can worship me is blessing other people with what you have and equalize things. And they may do the same for you when they have more and you don't have any. Not only do you get blessed because you're walking in the Spirit, you're helping somebody else. That's what Christ does. That's what the Spirit of Christ does. You're fulfilling that walking in the Spirit. There you go. But that person is blessed because their prayers have been answered. God, how are you going to provide for me? I don't have anything. Bam. And then they offer up prayers to God. Thank you, God. So he's now getting glory. They're thanking God for you and praying for you. You've blessed them. They've been blessed. Prayers are answered. Things are going everywhere. You ever watch that example on YouTube of the splitting of the atoms and they use the mouse traps and the ping pong balls? Look it up. It's hilarious. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. They describe it. They've got all these mouse traps set up, huge. And there's different videos. Some are better than others. And they've got two ping pong balls on each mousetrap. And they go, you ready? And they throw one in. And within like a split second, it goes bam. And of course, two go, four go. But it happens so quickly. It's just like bam, and it's just done. It's just amazing. All of them are gone. And you see these ping pong balls all just resting. That's what it's like. When we hear the voice of God, the Holy Spirit telling us to do one thing, and we just say, okay, and we do it, it's like that ping pong ball. Bam, boom, I can do that. Boom, boom, boom. And the world, the whole body of Christ is blessed. And the world is blessed too. He's just, he's just waiting for us to spring, you know? Just spring, spring. See what, see what he does. It's amazing what God can do if we just listen and just do it. And that's with anything. It doesn't just have to be with money. It can be anything, time. Just listening to people, talking to people teaching people what his word says, praying with people. Those are all ping pong balls. They all work the same. It all blesses. It all goes beyond what we could ever think God would do with that kind of stuff. It's an amazing, amazing thing God set up for us, and we get to be a part of it. 
for the life of me. I have no idea why he wants to use us. He doesn't need us. He's got the Holy Spirit ministering to everybody already. We know that. And somehow he wants us involved, very involved, very involved. We're called to it. And so Paul leaves him with that. Spring, Corinthians, spring, you know. Shoot off that ping pong ball. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for keeping it in our hearts, Lord. And we know that that spirit of generosity, no matter how that shows up, whether that's in worship of finances, worship with singing, worship in prayer, worship in reading your word, whatever, worship just walking uprightly before you, we know that you do great things. When we just obey your still small voice, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to walk in the spirit. And when we hear that voice saying, you didn't really hear that, that wasn't really God, Lord, help us to have that red flag go up. Help us to recognize that conversation starting and help us to pull every thought captive and stop that conversation. Help us to just do it by faith. What you've called us to do, help us to just do it by faith, Lord. And let the increase and the outcome is in your hands then. Lord, we love you. We pray that you bless these guys as they go today. We pray that you'd Give us opportunities to minister to people in this way. Wherever we go, help us to see the needs of others, Lord. Help us to see the needs of others more important and bigger and brighter than we see our own needs, God. And may they see our needs so that we don't have to be looking at ourselves anymore. We can be looking at others all the time because we know somebody else is looking out for us. That's how you want us to work. That's how you want us to operate as a fellowship, as a church. So help us to do that. We love you. And give you all the glory and praise for what you've done so far in our lives and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.